Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Not a short trip. No, I agree with that. Having having been to where he lives a couple of times in my life, you you need a passport. It is a hike. It's 45, 50 minutes. It's, it's you don't just life. need a passport. You need uh, arrival permission. Otherwise, you're not getting into the... <laughs> to the, the, the anywhere near the premises. He talks about me. I don't live in a gated community. I have a fence. I don't live in a gated community. Wilbon, yeah, you better present credentials. <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. All righty then. Here's an email. Sorry to hear about your troubles and sand traps. I'm also challenged. Got a tip years ago. Picture yourself in a giant teacup. And swing upright and through without touching the sides of the cup. Also, as you said, the rest of my game is okay. Then what are you doing in the traps? Shabbat Shalom, DJ. <laughs> it's nice to know. I'm terrible in traps. It's not your favorite part, right? No, I'm just really bad at it. Speaking of sand traps, um, there was a tournament, a golf tournament, that, Michael, you went to on Thursday. We talked about that on Thursday. Uh, the good was, day. Yeah, if the you're good watching day. on TV. Friday and Saturday were brutal. It's awful. They were rainy all the way through and windy and cold. Yesterday was, and I don't want to say clear because it was cloudy, but there was no rain yesterday. The temperature never got above 50 degrees. You almost saw the sun. Yeah. Did you it, see the scoring average on Saturday? It I think was, it might have been the worst scoring average since the final round of the, 20, uh, the 2020 U.S. Open at Winged Foot. Yeah, it was just terrible. Now, this makes everybody happy because you see golfers struggle. You know they get paid a lot of money, and you know they're far better than you are, but you actually see them struggle. They make bogeys and double bogeys. In the case of Jason Day, he just collapsed, totally collapsed on Saturday, right? It's brutal to see someone who has a history of back trouble play in a cold rain. Yeah, it it was very bad. I encourage you, I encourage you if you are a casual golf fan to read Jason Day's Mother's Day essay, but also to see he posted. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. So this was March weather in Washington, D.C., not May weather. Most of the time when tournaments have been here before, pros complain about how hot it is. You know, it was not hot. I mean, look, I love to play golf. I was off Saturday and Sunday. I didn't play. I didn't go out to play. It was was that – the weather was that oppressive. Um, So what I did was I ended up watching a lot of television, trying to nap, watching a lot of television. And we will have – a lot on the Kentucky Derby today, both from Mike Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper. Chuck Culpepper's piece in yesterday's Washington Post was just so great, so great, and you all ought to read it if you can. But I watched the Derby, and it was a great race, an exciting race. The horse that won wasn't even in the field on Friday morning when they drew post positions. wasn't even in the field. Somebody had to scratch. They got a late call. They put this horse, Rich Strike, in the field all the way out on the right-hand side. The worst post position you can have because if you run straight, you're not running a mile and a quarter. You're running three miles because you're you're parked that far outside on the track. And from all the way out on the right, the horse came all the way in on the left and one on the inside, one on the rail. And and that was great and paid a million dollars. And we'll talk to Chuck about how much money it paid because it was an insane amount of money. Just as an example... The exacta. This is when you get the first and second horse right. That's not that hard in a 20-horse field. You got a lot of mathematical possibilities. Not that hard. $4,101 <laughs> to get the first two right. If you got the $1 superfecta, $321,000 for one buck. 
321. The greatest part of the race was after the race was over, and this horse, Rich Strike, I want you to try to think about a horse that doesn't usually run in this sort of company, sort of a riffraff horse, a horse from the other side of the barn, a horse that grows up thinking, I'm not as good as these, just give me one chance. So he gets his one chance and he wins. It's spectacular. And then to show you who he is, what happens is when you, when you win the race, the winner has to be led by a pony into an area, the winner's circle area. This is very standard. Obviously, this horse had never won a race before because it began to eat the pony. It reached over 15 times and bit the pony's face to such a degree that the rider on the pony was punching. The red jacket. The red jacket was punching with a closed fist. Rich Strike in the face whenever he went to eat the... It was just fantastic. The best is NBC can't cut away from it because it's the winner of the Kentucky Derby. Right, yeah. yeah. NBC does a great job. Yes. They do a great, great job on these things. They really do. The only issue They've got is- everybody picking horses. They, they, they're circulated around the Kentucky Derby, around Churchill Downs. Every shot is a different look. They do a great job. If you ever walk away from the, from the room where the TV is and you come back, you, think, you don't look at the clock, you think you're already in the middle of the race and you've missed something. <laughs> they yeah. tell you it's going off at 6.45, went off at 7.05. Yeah. You know, they string you along a little they, bit. Look, it's do. only two minutes. They know when it's over, you're leaving. So they string you along as much as they can. But it was really... Bootsy and the Hammer loved the race. They identified with the two horses. Walker loved Epicenter because of the W on, on, the, uh, on the shirt. So and Epicenter... He was, was, my friend Eddie picked Epicenter. And Andy, as we know, picked White Abario. And the amazing thing was when they do the post parade, it's a white horse. It's like a light gray horse. White Abario, so you could pick him out. He didn't win. Um, the two Baffert horses, Messier and Taba, they didn't win. That would have been a, the best story, I think. I'll ask Chuck yeah. if one of them had won a best story. But but the horse paid $170. It's, 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 it's probably the greatest upset in the history of horse racing. Oh, yeah. I, and I, it probably is. The horse, again, I can't stress this enough, the horse wasn't on the on the track until Saturday. You know, he didn't didn't know. Have you seen they've they put out some additional footage. It's like an overhead camera of it. And know. you get you get a better look of how he was positioning himself. And as they come around the stretch, you're like he's doing a dead left. He's way back in the pack. You're like, there's yeah. no chance. The, yeah. his closing speed down at the very end was just remarkable. Gotta be drugs. This <laughs> has gotta be drugs, probably, right? Yeah. So this is the analogy that I would give. Um John Daly was the sixth alternate, I believe, for the PGA Championship at Crooked Stick in the 1980s, maybe? 1991, I 1991. Believe. The sixth alternate. He had no business getting into the field. One guy got sick. One guy had a wedding. One guy had a flat tire. Whatever happened, he, was, he finally got in day before or day of. One of those two. Had no business being in there. Nobody knew who he was. And he won. The longest shot on the board. And he won. And he went on, by the way, to win the British Open at St. Andrews, I believe. At St. Andrews a few years later. But you think about when you talk about getting that outside position, think about being, a, being the last guy in. You're not getting a tee time that sets you up for success. You're likely getting that late afternoon. Or, uh, late You're getting 7.15 in the morning and 4 o'clock in yeah. the afternoon. <laughs> Hope you You're in the way. Yeah, your, fir- your first two days are the worst possible we'll leave tee Leave the times. lights on. And he wins. <laughs> 
And John Daly wins. And that, to me, is this horse. You know, you're not in the field. Nobody. Why is the horse 80 to 1? Because it doesn't belong in the race. Right. Like, it doesn't belong in the race. The trainer, I think, at one point, the trainer, he was asked how how he felt when the horse won. And he goes, I don't know. When the horse got near the lead, I passed out. <laughs> I didn't see it. So it's really good. That's I mean, great. that was lots of fun. Then there was basketball. And there was baseball. There was... Last night, I'll just be very brief on this. The Nats are in a bullpen situation. Who was the starter yesterday? Uh, the starter was uh, Fettuccini. Fetty? Fetty's had two good starts in a row, relatively good sure, starts. Sure, usually in a row. has a bad ending, but yeah, yesterday okay. was a good quality start. Turns it over to the bullpen. Chuck Todd texts me. He goes, It's a disaster. Disaster's going to happen. And I said, I don't know. Kyle Finnegan comes in, strikes out the side. Strikes out the side. That but, felt like one of those where you go, the save is not actually the save. It's, it's that's something seven. earlier. In, in, yeah. Right. Yes. That's, number, that's seventh inning. Strikes out the side. Austin Voth comes in the next inning. He should be a reliever because he's not a good starter. Strikes out two or three. Gets out of the inning. Then they bring in their closer, Tanner Rainey. Raise your hand if you remember me saying bad things about Tanner Rainey for the last three years. <laughs> he throws the ball very, very hard, and it goes out of the park even harder. You know, he's a guy who looks like, right, Michael? He looks like he should be great. Yeah. But his results aren't always great. He's been all right this year. But he, and he had a couple of strikeouts in the ninth, but he didn't have trout. He didn't have enough strikeouts in the ninth because he gave up an off the wall shot to Otani. Shohei Otani does not get cheated on a swing. Mm-mm. He takes a full swing doesn't, at the ball. Doesn't get cheated on the base path either. That guy flies. Yeah, yeah he's just all around a brilliant player. So he hits it off the wall. Um, Again, let's just put this in perspective. Uh, you have Trout, Otani, and, and Rendon, Rendon coming up in the bottom of the ninth. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough to get through. So the tough thing, you, you sit there and go like, okay, give up one there. But the bigger issue for me was the walk that he gives up. You just can't give, can't give a free base there with those guys coming up. And then Rendon gets up. You all remember Anthony Rendon. And he hits a single left. And there's a play at the plate. He drops in. Robles makes a very good throw. But it's not in time. Yeah. It's not 99.9% of the time, it's not going to be on time. It's just not going to be. And so uh, Rendon walks off the Nats, his old team. You know, love seeing when, when Soto got to third to see those two guys talking. Cool to see, but to see the to see Otani to see Trout play, oh, fun, yeah. even as a Nats fan, like look, you, you had a feeling something like that was going to happen in one of these games. They're they are a significantly better team, but it's just about you're sitting there going to get three out of four there would be so big. And they're not a playoff team, but what are you going to do? As we say in the trade. It was, you know, I will say this, and Dan Coco said it time and time again, and after a while I wanted to say, stop saying this because you're, uh, you're avoiding the fact that your team lost. But it was a tremendously exciting close. Yeah. It was it's every oh. As a baseball fan, yes. it's everything you want. My side got beat, but it's everything you want. We will take a break. Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'll force him to talk about the horsies a little bit, and then we'll talk about basketball. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Paul Goldstein, the drummer of the North Star Band. We played some songs recently, so we sent a couple more. This one is called Marianne. This has a very familiar beginning to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I can't quite like, put my finger on it, but yeah, you feel like you know it. It's sort of like a 90s song. It feels like a 90s yeah. song. It's really nice. The North Star Band. It's called Marianne. It plays in Michael Wilbon. And I told people we would talk about the basketball, but first, we had to talk about your Kentucky Derby story. Tell the people what happened as the Kentucky Derby went on. Well, I, I decided to watch the Kentucky Derby, which is rare for me. Uh, just I just don't. I mean, I'm, I'm never uh, in one place consistently on the first Saturday in May. I'm always at the playoffs. That could be the studio. That could be a game, usually a game. I might get a rare week where a series is over and I get to come home, but I don't, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't do it. I don't watch. So I decided I was going to watch this time, and I watched the whole lead-in. I invested like 30, 40 minutes in watching this stupid race, and and I was going back to do a show uh, here, a studio show, ABC countdown show, and uh, I said, well, you know, I'll just sit here and watch it, and I I, I start to watch it. The next thing I know, I look at the television, and it's like an hour later, and I have slept right through <laughs> the race. <laughs> no race. Luckily, I didn't sleep through the appointed time. I needed to be in the car driving right. back to the studio here to do Countdown uh, with you know with Stephen A. and with Greeny and with Jalen. But uh, so I missed it. Missed it. Just whiffed on it. So that was that was pretty bad. Now I, you did see the replay, it. and yeah, it was I a great saw, race. It was a great race. Late, late, late Saturday night, yeah. I wound up seeing it. It was great. It was really wonderful. All right, let's get to basketball, and let's get to all four series at one at a time. You were very upset with the call, um, the, the Milwaukee uh, Boston game, that, and I saw this on replay a couple of times. Smart got fouled. Smart's in the oh, act of shooting. He's clearly three shot foul. He's Any in, other call is stupid. Yes, he's yeah. in the act of shooting. He's got a chance to tie the game yes. at the foul line. How do you not give him? He's only over there to get the ball to shoot. That's the only reason well, he's doing it. The NBA has this this obsession now. This stupid, ill-guided obsession with calling certain. Fouls on the floor, the rip right. move, and all—it's it, a foul. He's in the act of shooting. Yes. So you got two things: you have, you have, a, you have a, a league-appointed stupid rule, in, in, in the attempt to enforce it, and then you have bad officiating. And, and look, I don't say this very often. I am—I mean, I know most of the officials a little bit, and several are really actually good friends of mine, and I mean. The officiating has been different, just dreadful instances. And I've had, you know, people say to me during the finals, um, the, the officiating is bad. I'm like, stop, stop, stop complaining about the officiating. There's a couple of calls. It's not really bad. No, it is. There's, there's too many of them. There's too many. There's too much missing of calls. That you First of all, you can't and shouldn't be reviewing every single foul as a flagrant. 
Every foul, they got to stop the game and go to the monitor to see there's a flagrant. Every foul. It's, it's, it's dreadful. Um, so, again, some of this is legal pointed, and then some of it's just guys who I think are good officials just blowing calls. It's, so, it's just I, yeah, it's, smart, it's really interrupting the action for me. Um, and it's in the case of that call is Marcus Smart. It's a bad call. wrong call. It, it's it, anybody watching that. Honestly, anybody watching yeah. that sees he's going up for a shot now. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he gets two shots instead of three. Makes the first very smartly. Bangs the second off the rim. The Celtics get three looks at it. You know they're batting at it. They're not catching it. They're batting at it, and well, they lose. Smart caught his own rebound. Yes, he did. And he rushed it because he had time, and he rushed it. Of course, you rushed it. You're, you know, the clock is ticking. You know, you're in a dire situation. He made he made the great play, like you said, to get the ball off the rim. He did. Got to touch the rim, and you know. They couldn't. They, they couldn't. They couldn't make the shot, and they lose the game. You know, by two. So and, this is um, the follow-up question, though. They were on the road. Yeah. They were competitive the whole way. It should have not necessarily gone their way, but it should have been an overtime situation. Well, they should have won the game. Are you? So are you? Blew the game. Okay. Are you more or less optimistic going into Game Four about the Celtics? More or less. Uh, maybe more so. Me too. Jason Tatum was was so bad. He was four for nineteen, and Marcus Smart I think was one for eight. So those two guys are five for twenty seven. If I'm doing the math right, and you 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 can't have your stars be bad on the road. You're not going to win because your role players really, if ever, are going to win a playoff. An NBA playoff game on the road. He just that's gotcha. just not gonna happen. And so Tatum and Smart, man, wow, they just laid egg, and they still lose the game with the buzzer. So probably more so. I agree. I agree. Let's probably. go to let's go to Golden State. Golden State put 142 on Memphis, yeah, one handily. But that's not the story. The story is the accusation, the clear implication of an accusation by the Memphis coach that um, uh, Poole. Yeah. deliberately, with intent to injure, grab John Morant's knee, and John Morant is likely not to play in Game 4. Now, yeah. they're about 21-1 and one without John Morant this year, yeah. so let's not yeah. go nuts. But what do, you, what do you think about the now the perpetualization of broke the code, now it's the Memphis stupid. coach? It's just stupid. There's no code that my hand can't hit your knee. It's just stupid. The narrative is stupid. And Memphis, Memphis's people are wrong. You know, you heard me all year talk about Memphis. Back in November, I would tell you, Tony, you gotta watch John Morant because nobody's as exciting as him. He's very exciting. John Morant, Tony, is in that category. Even though he's a guard, he's not as big. Actually, you know, I was gonna put him in a category that includes Julius Serving, but I'm actually not gonna do that. I'm gonna go David Thompson, and I think you'll agree with that. He he's the most exciting player in the game. John Morant is. And there's an intelligence about his game and about him and about the way he operates and about the way he talks after the game. And you just, you can't wait to see him. And but Jordan Poole didn't reach out to grab his knee. It's a reflex. People act like these movements are, you can't calibrate every movement. It's like in college football and they have targeting. And some kid is 12 feet away from somebody, 
and he winds up getting a shoulder or a helmet where he shouldn't get it. And it doesn't mean it's targeting. You can't, this is not the ballet. You can't control every single movement like that, frame by frame. These accusations, some of them, they're just dumb. And they're perpetuated by people in our business and sometimes by, by, by people in the basketball business, former players and coaches and current players. I do agree with that, with the Gary Payton takedown by Dylan Brooks, that that was the, you know, he broke the code. Okay. It was great. I heard somebody, Corey uh, Alexander, who played at Virginia and is doing games now for us, and he said, you know, I played the league in the 90s when people could throw you down and there's no code. And I wanted to applaud him. I don't know how to reach him. I wanted to applaud him just to say, you know, you're probably right about that. It was a dirty play. You can rip it. But don't tell me that my hand hit your knee and there's a code. Shut up. Let's move on to uh, two teams that are making a series where, at least in one case, I didn't think there was a series. I mean, I always knew that if Joel Embiid came back, Philadelphia would be better. But look at Harden. Look at Harden finally had a good game. It this, had a game. This tells you that Harden's not the lead dog. That Joel Embiid is the lead dog, and if he's out there, Harden has a better chance because when he was out there alone, he whiffed. That's a real series now. I can see Philadelphia winning. Can you? Me too. Yes, I yes. can. That make me feel good. It's largely, Tony, because Harden can be part of an ensemble. Yes. He can. Yes. It, Harden cannot be the – he cannot be, uh, you know, the band leader. He's not Tommy Dorsey. He's not, he's not you know, he's not Doc Severinsen. He's That's not right. that guy anymore. Right. But he can, which we discussed at nauseum, because you had to discuss it, because there is a lessening of James Harden. But the way he played last night, he can do, he, he, they can win with him being that guy. I agree. Especially with Maxie, you know, playing the way he's playing, and Harris, twice Harris. You could, that's a four-man, a four-player ensemble. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that way. The surprising one to me is Phoenix and Dallas because I don't think – I think Luka Doncic is a great player, but I don't think there's anything else there compared to what there is on the other side. If you want to talk about bad calls, Chris Paul had three fouls called against him yesterday yeah, of the awful. six. They're three awful. of the six were t- horrific. They're, 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 they were horrific. They're dreadful. Yeah, they really were. They're, they're just dreadful calls. And, they were. And one of them, he's being run over by a player yeah. who looks like a rhinoceros landing on him, and the fouls on Chris Paul, he's just stupid. And now, yeah. and instead of the, the league is going to have to, they're going to have something bad happen. Where, like in 2007, the Phoenix Suns got hosed by the league, and then David Stern compounded the, 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 the awful officiating when Steve Nash was bounced off a table by Robert Ory. And the Suns were penalized, overly penalized. You're going to have something happen like that, and it's going to mar the playoffs. It is. Now, I don't know that the Suns were going to be in a position to make a run, but Chris Paul can't be off the floor for 20 minutes for the no. Suns. No, he's it the most important happen. player. He's the, he's the, yes. he's the most yes. important player. And so, so now, those I calls you that were was terrible. Those calls, the, the one that they called on Paul when Brunson ran him over. Yes. I don't, I don't even, it's inconceivable to me that a referee makes that call. I don't it, even it, get it. It's inconceivable. And hmm. 
Terrible. And so, but I told you that was going to be a series at the beginning. You yes, and I laughed at you. Down. Yes, we did. Because, Tony, here's the reason. Luka Doncic is the best player in that series. And I, now, I voted Booker my runner-up as MVP. And Booker's in the discussion with Luka. You can have him in the discussion. But the difference is, the reason I voted for Booker, Booker had an entire season. There was no... He didn't play great the first third. Doncic did nothing the first third of the season. And Jason Kidd got into him one of the great and unmentioned coaching jobs of the year. Because Rick Carlisle could not get to Luka Doncic to tell him three things. One, you've got to be in better shape. Two, you've got to play some defense. You've got to try. And three, you've got to shut up with the, with the officials. Rick Carlisle, as great a coach as Rick Carlisle is, he could not get through to Luka. Jason Kidd did. And, and Luka responded. Now, he missed the first third of the season with immature behavior. I call it immature. But, but Luka Doncic, when he is engaged like this, He's got to get more committed. Luka could become, I mean, one of the great players of all time. But he's got to be committed in a way he has not been. He is right now. Yeah. And when he is, Tony, he can be Larry Bird, Magic Johnson great, meaning his team, LeBron, which means he can lift his teammates to a level where they can beat anybody. And they have that chance now. No, I agree with all of that. I do. You're, you're right. I mean, I still think Phoenix is better. I think if Chris Paul has a good game, they win every game. But that's because I think the supporting cast is better. But Luka Doncic is, he is that good. And I, yeah, I mean, I think of Magic Johnson. When I see him play, I think of Magic Johnson yeah, well, more than I mean, anybody else. Yeah, but there's more scoring. There's the bird element in that he can, he's a beautiful shooter. He is. It's he a is. set shot, just like Bird. Yeah, he doesn't even leave the ground. No, it's just, and he's not he's, six ten like Bird. He's six seven, but he's so strong. He's and thick. It, it's he's just, thick. You know, he's I mean, he had, look. He and and um, the kid on Memphis, he, he and Ja, they're they're really you, good. You, at some point, the league is going to have to get over its obsession. Not now, with Steph Curry and and, and LeBron, because you got the heirs apparent. You have them right now. They're on the floor right down right. the playoffs. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls, will take a break. Chuck Culpepper is going to discuss the Kentucky Derby when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, it's the North Star Band. This is a... That's the name of the song, Brown Shoe Willie. Uh, these guys are varied. Yeah. Varied and good. Yeah. Had a North great show. star band. Yeah, played at the Birchmere on Friday. Wow. 
it's there's echoes of a million things in this. Michael, if people like the North Star Band want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com, and I will confirm with Claire, but I think our, our new Johnny O code, we do have graduation season coming up, will be TK Trap <laughs> to recognize your inability to get out of the sand. I can't. I stink. <laughs> I got to I got to pretend it's a teacup and not hit either yeah, side. Got to get narrow. Oh man, I stink at that. Chuck Kelpepper joins us now. I said at the beginning of the show that Chuck's derby story is fantastically good. It is just fantastically good. And it it hit the level of the derby, which was in and of itself fantastically good because of the way it ended because of the fact that the horse had not even been in the field when they had post position draw on Wednesday or Thursday. Chuck, when did Rich Strike enter the Derby? At what point in time? Friday morning at 8.55 or really it's uh, officially at 9 o'clock when the uh, chief steward called the trainer to say did you did you want to you know be in the derby? And he said I could barely breathe well enough to force out the yes. At eight forty five, he had been told he would not be in the derby, and they had told the security guard who works when you are in the derby to go ahead and leave the barn. Um, it's none of it is true. I don't think. I don't think any of this. I don't think the the outcome of the race or any of it is true. And you know we're living in some other. Planet yeah. now, as the as the owner said, you know. Yeah, we're we're in a parallel universe. Why was yes. it? Why was it him and not another horse? How did he get, you know, in the queue? So they have a point standing, and he had been bouncing around from twenty second to twenty fourth, and it's based on the all the preparatory races that happen through the winter and spring, and he had been bouncing around, you know, under number twenty, which you need to get to twenty to get into the Derby. And then he made it up to 21 and there had been a scratch during the week. He, he then that got him up there. And then, uh, and then when ethereal road, Dwayne Lucas's horse bowed out on Friday morning, uh, that nudged him up to number 20 at last. And he still wore that, that 21 blanket. Right. I'm not completely sure why they, you know, the system makes it happen that way. Why the, formalities and the rules make it happen that way but it's a very eccentric blanket to me to wear and to to finish first and it's an it's an astonishingly eccentric blanket so So it's yeah people say you know they say well why was that horse 80 to one it won the race and you go hold on a second sparky this is understandably the biggest long shot in the race is it not chuck of course it is it is and you know, they had run him, he had won once at Churchill Downs back in September. It was at Churchill Downs, but everything that happened after that made it seem like, well, who cares? He might be familiar with it, but who cares about that? Because he, they took him to the fairgrounds in Louisiana. He lost by 33 lengths. I tried to count it up. It was to Epicenter, who finished first in that race. They uh, took him to Turfway Park for, near Cincinnati for three races, and he went third, fourth, and third, undistinguished. Third in the Jeff Ruby, his most recent race before the Derby. Third behind, in that one behind, Tis the Bomb and Tawny Port, who both were in the, in the Derby. Kentucky Derby with That's him. Right. So, right. That's right. You know, and, and not really a threat to them there. So, you know, it's, it's just, 
it's just an, an obvious 80 to 1 when you when yeah. you start uh, thinking about all that. So it's a great and thrilling race. He's being ridden by a guy named Sandy Leone, who I, I've never heard of, of course, and I never heard of Rich Strike. I never heard of Sandy Leone. But they start on the far right, and they end up on the far left. How did that happen? The trainer, Eric Reed, credited Leone with, with doing that early, with, you know, that that was one of the first things that happened on this daydream trip that they had around the track and, you know, with all its weaving and, and patience and everything. But the, that the first thing that happened was that he, he took him over there in that direction to save the, save the ground. It's something no one would have noticed. And it's something I'm going to have to go back maybe and pick out. But the, the trainer in the aftermath did credit him as that being a, a tactical move that may have allowed for everything else that happened afterward. Yeah, because I was telling people, if you stay on the far outside for the whole race, you're not running a mile and a quarter, you're running two miles. So he, he goes all the way over in the left, to the last place on earth. He's the last horse you think about, and you don't think of him there, and he runs down Epicenter, a horse that he lost to, as you said, by 33 lengths in another race. The prices are unbelievable. The Exacta pays $4,100. The Trifecta, for 50 cents, if I read this right, pays excuse me, $7,400, and the $1 Superfecta, where you got to get one, two, three, four, five, I guess, pays $321,000. Did anybody win that? I don't know if any, I've not heard of anybody winning that thing. The only person I've heard of winning out of all the people I've talked to since then um, bet him because she felt sorry for him because nobody was betting on it. You know, it's, and you know, I, 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 uh, keep, I'm a big yellow legal pad person, have been for a long time. So when I see you with, with one, sometimes yeah. I, I get comfort from that, you know, yeah. from it, it, it eases all the derision I've taken for it through the years, you know. And so I had piles of yellow legal pad pages on, uh, on all the horses. And then he got in on Friday morning and I said, oh, my hands just kind of tired from writing it down. And so I didn't have any any information on him really, you know, that I should have when, when I, and when he passed across the wire. So, you know, I think that was the case with a lot of people. I'm not sure there was anybody in the world who bet him because they thought he was going to be on the board. No, some people bet the longest shot in the race, just to have a $2 yeah. ticket. So, yeah. I, I mean, uh, this is how columnists work. I understand that in that moment, the column is the, is the winner. I understand that. But the other column that I would consider is this. Epicenter's jockey. How did he feel? He beat this horse by 33. He had a clear path to the Kentucky Derby. He had no idea, since he was in the one hole, he had no idea that somebody was going to be on his left. Did anybody by any chance talk to that guy? Boy, I don't know that I've seen comments by that guy there's a, a maybe another column i might go for which is that his trainer the hall of famer steve asmussen has won the preakness mm-hmm. won the belmont won the breeders cup classic won everything in sight won more races in north america than anybody else and is over comes in there oh for 23 in the derby it has it on his racket it's right there 2001 right it's right, it's right there. there 
right there. And, and there's a, a stretch duel going on between for a bit between Epicenter and Zandon. That, on his right, not on his left. Right, yes. Right. The two star pupils of spring 2022, you know, the titans of the year, they're in a duel that itself would have made a brilliant story to write about. And here this, this 21 blanket sneaks up, you know, on the, on the left, who's, who's not done better than third in any race since September. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a fabulous ending. It's a fabulous race. I said before, the greatest part is NBC's cameras focusing on the winner of the race, uh, biting the pony, <laughs> trying to kill the pony, and the guy riding the pony, punching the winner of the Kentucky Derby in the head repeatedly, <laughs> repeatedly. It was just so great. But I will say this, and we'll talk about this now. What's the greatest story in the world? Is, it, is, is the greatest story in the world this long shot? Maybe it is. Is the second greatest story if a Baffert horse wins and the intrigue with Tim Yachtin, right? I mean, do you believe right. that they never spoke? What, what is the outcome of this for Baffert and Yachtin? I guess I could believe that they never spoke, given that it would be awkward and given that maybe, Pete, they, maybe they, they wanted to keep it that way you know, out of some, that something tactical in, in terms of, you know, not wanting to, to sully the, you know, the, the story or whatever it was, but, you know, you know, that would have been discussed forever, just as this will, Yep. but, but that would have been discussed because it would have been debated for a long time. And because it, everybody wants to know what's behind the curtain, what's, you know, that's, we're all fascinated with that. And so that would have been the classic what's behind the curtain, who's really the trainer, who's really the influence, who, who has brought this about. You know, that would have been intrigue for a long time. Yachtin goes back to selling violets at restaurants, doesn't he, in the <laughs> middle of the night? I mean, right, he's, this was his moment, it's over, right? He's one of those guys who, there's, there's a lot of them, and we never hear about them. And you think of the guy who trained California Chrome in 2014, Art Sherman, and they're, they know what they're doing. They do right by the horses. You know, they, they love the horses, and they're just out there because of that. And we never hear about them, and they, they don't tend to get the big prizes and anything. And then another one of those guys like that is Eric Reed in Lexington, this Kentucky, this guy who just um, incredibly won this race. Yeah. And it's, it, it sort of reminds us that there are a lot of people out there who are good at doing this, at training horses, and they're out there every day, really every day, for absurd hours, and we never hear about them. And then every once in a while, one of them gets a moment. So the act team might have gotten his, but didn't really get close. But now this other guy, who none of us knew about, gets his. I covered five or six derbies. I used to go out with Bayer and to all the Triple Crown races because there's nobody better to be around than Bayer because he's a god at a racetrack. Like, everybody True. knows who Andy Bayer is. And that was great fun. I, I, I thought, and the story you wrote was great. I thought you, had to, you have to feel lucky. You have to say to yourself, I go to a lot of races. I just got, I got the one that they're going to remember forever. I got to write it. I got to watch it, right? You have to feel good about that. Well, thank you for saying what you said, and and I felt lucky, but not in those two hours right after that, because I had an empty yellow sheet <laughs> on this horse, and just just so desperately wanted to 
wanted it to be any good and just felt just felt like it was just this barrage of everything someone would say. I was like, oh, no, don't add another, you know, excellent quotation to this because it, the pile is getting so high that can't get to it all. You know, it, it was it was overwhelming and it was it was intimidating. And it was but then after, you know, after you leave the track and get to your car about an hour later, whatever, and then go out, then you start to feel lucky, I think. Yeah, I mean, because somebody always asks you, if you're a career, if this is your career, somebody always asks, well, what's the weirdest thing you ever did? What's the most exciting thing you ever did? Who's the athlete you liked? You know, and all of that stuff. And you have this in your pocket. You have this, It's like, I, what do I have in my pocket? I've got the Leitner game. I've got the Flutie pass. I've got stuff like that in my pocket. And, and you lay down those cards and you look at the other guy and go, shut up. I got this. Well, you got this, Chuck. You got this in horse racing. The only better thing you can have is secretariat at the Belmont. That's the only better thing, don't you think? I think so. I don't know how that 1913 derby went. With yeah, with Sir Barton. Donna Rail was 91 to 1, the only one that was beyond this one. So I, you know, I might toss that out. I, I, yeah, this is, this, this, this keeps building across the two days since. And I imagine that it, that it will for a long time, especially since he doesn't have any chance in the Preakness, right? Zero. This is a, a one-off. This is the <laughs> yeah. race of his life. This is all there is. And you're going to be able to say at some point, now it's not going to do any good if you're talking about the NBA playoffs, but if you're in a crowd with horse race people, you say, yeah, here, I was at this one. Shut up and walk. And that's what you're able to do. It's, sports writers live for this. I had Reggie Jackson's three home runs. What did you have? Shut up and walk. All right. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Tony. That's just great. We'll take a break when we come back. Email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. That is Bill Pitcher of Quarryville, Pennsylvania, playing the mailbag jingle. He also sent an email. Uh, I mentioned Joe Durso the other day because I was talking about guys I worked with at the New York Times covered baseball. He writes, hearing Joe Durso's name on the pod the other day brought up some fond memories. I was a 19-year-old college dropout covering Saratoga Racecourse for my hometown paper, despite never going to a horse race or knowing the difference between an exacta and an exacto knife. My assigned seat was beside Joe, who was working his final beat in his last years at the New York Times. He was quiet, quick with advice, and always humble. Without the benefit of Google, I had no idea I was sitting next to the authoritative voice of the Yankees' glory days. He uncharacteristically missed a few days at the track, and when he returned, he said he'd been at a funeral. A few minutes later, when Joe left his seat for a moment, the other guy next to me leaned in, said, 
At a funeral, he asked incredulously. He was part of Mickey Mantle's funeral. Yeah, he spoke. Joe Durso. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel app? Uh, yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. Big line today. Yes, very popular on the Monday morning. No, we didn't get sandwiches today. Didn't get the sandwiches today. Hopefully hope on we Wednesday. get them. Yeah, hopefully on Wednesday. Uh, that's it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say, long as I remember, the rain's been coming down. Clouds of mystery pouring confusion on the ground. Good men through the ages trying to find the sun. And I wonder, still I wonder, who'll stop the rain? That, I believe, is Creedence Clearwater Revival. It is indeed. Thanks to our guests today, Michael Wilbon and Chuck Culpepper. Thanks to our sponsors, Policy Genius Indochino X-Chair. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, Please leave us a review. Bill Isaacson writing about pharmacies. The recent emails seem to have transitioned from favorite pharmacists to favorite pharmacies, which are two very different categories. Not long ago, our neighborhood Walgreens closed. It was the one in the former location of Yenqing Palace at Connecticut and Porter. Junior and I used to go to Yenqing Palace. Junior would get food from Yenqing Palace every single Sunday night. Yeah. My favorite Chinese restaurant in Washington, D.C. It closed, you know, a long time ago, almost 30 years ago. Anyway, when the Walgreens closed, Isaacson writes, they posted a sign on the door saying that all of our prescription information for refills had been transferred to the CVS. That's the CVS one block south near where Bobby Abbo's Roma used to be. I was at first shocked that my personal information could be transferred without notice to me or my consent. Ultimately, I shrugged and admitted that CVS was the only other pharmacy within walking distance I gave into the system. I learned from this experience, though, that no matter how many wonderful pharmacists there are, there is only one enormous pharmacy behind those names like Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, etc. It's just like that 70s rock AOR band, sometimes Foreigner, Sticks, Kansas, Boston, Journey, or ELL, or Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> to conclude, rod pretzels from those jars behind the checkout counter at the local grocery in Waterford, Wisconsin. Isaacson, who writes, I'm flying from San Francisco to New Orleans. From Matthew in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. While we're in the subject of our favorite Pittsburgh pharmacies, <laughs> I'd like to send a special shout-out to the Walgreens in Wilkinsburg off of Penn Avenue. To this day in that store, I've never seen a single person smile, employee or customer, <laughs> except for the time that at 10 p.m. I found myself in the Walgreens purchasing a $40 plunger. The cashier met me eye-to-eye, eye, smiled, wished me a very good night. <laughs> From Ruben Spolter. Super Farm in the new section of Gadera is the worst. Thought you should know. Don't know where Gadera is. Not sure, but we'll stay away from it. Tristan Vick in Frisco, Texas. On Monday, John from San Antonio said he goes to the Walgreens on Northwest Military Highway in San Antonio. I lived in San Antonio. I spent a number of hours in traffic at the light next to that pharmacy. I don't live in San Antonio anymore. I go to Costco for my pharmaceutical needs. I've had outlets in my kitchen, but we just did a kitchen remodel, so now we have an under-cabinet lighting. It's pretty nice. We got a dog last year, named it Maggie, an homage to the original four-legged member of your radio show and podcast. That's very sweet. Thank that you. That is. Scott Carper from Mannheim, Pennsylvania. I go to the CVS on Doe Run Road. <laughs> Closes from 1.30 to 2 every day for lunch. Really? <laughs> From Enrique in Bakersville, California, after visiting the Bethesda Bagels website and taking a look at their bagel sandwiches, I'm now dying to try one. So am I today. <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems that for the time being, Bethesda Bagels have yet to open a location in the chic cosmopolitan metropolis of Bakersfield, California, although it's surely on their short list for expansion. For the time being, do they offer delivery? According to Google Maps, the nearest location to me is approximately 2,706 miles away. I'll make sure to tip accordingly. <laughs> uh, from Mike... Uh, for, from 
Cincinnati, 480 miles to Bethesda Bagels, 10,172 from Melbourne, Australia. So how do you like them apples? 14 outlets, including some in a closet laundry. Please ask Edith Saliza to tell Jeff Parker to eat it. <laughs> okay. From Jose Lopez in Mountain Washington, Kentucky. Greetings, Dr. Kornheiser. Sea salt needs to calm down. Please see attached photo. It's better homes and gardens. Sea salt and leather. It's a candle. I thought for a second it was ice cream, but it's a candle. From our friend Bob Boxwell in Lusby, Maryland. You can't have a comprehensive listing of salts without mentioning Nixon's strategic arms limitation talks. Salt. It even had a sequel. Salt, too. From Joe Brawson in Boise, Idaho. My wife and I took another couple out for dinner last weekend. Nice place. A couple of bottles of wine, but the food was a little disappointing. As I signed the check, I mumbled to no one in particular. I should have bought the toaster. <laughs> Tremendous. Patrick Sitter writes us a lot, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Sounds like you now have a two-revolution toaster situation. Does that rank above or below a two-bathroom situation? Above. <laughs> it's above. It's above, yes. Above. And from Rob, Rob Blackburn in Rayford, North Carolina, but just for a few more weeks. I like cottages and I like cheese. Cottage cheese, cottage cheese is crap-tasking. Although, also, I've never in my life set foot in Waldorf. <laughs> there, people talk to each other. They just talk to each other through this. If you're out on your bike time, as always... Do wear white. And uh, tell me, you brought three of your friends. Could you please introduce Yes, there's George Palisol, <clears throat> Ringo Stone, and Paul McCharmley.
me tell you a story about a back bay man by the name of Brown Shoe Willie. Hundred gators in the pile with the stall bought shoes, and man said it looked right silly. Body wrestled alligators sun up to sunset, and a sneak past the sheriff with his eyes on his back. Never got caught with the goods on him yet. Brown Shoe Willie. He'd shine them shoes at the crack of dawn and he'd dip down the road. You could hear them boots are clicking along as soon as the rooster took control. Then he'd jump on his mule and he'd head into the swamp and cussing to himself and chewing on his red. Then we all felt sorry for the gators in his way. Brown Shoe Willie. Now Brown Shoe Willie was a Louisiana man who wrestled alligators with his good ride. The swamp every chance he could. Then he met him a gator who could fight real good. And they both went down in that Louisiana mud. Summertime and the sun was high, much too hot for working. Went out from the swamp, come a yell and a roar, and we all knew for certain that Brown Shoe really was fighting his prey. Nobody seen him ever since that day. We saw his shoes are floating down his way. Brown Shoe Willie, that Brown Shoe really was a Louisiana man who wrestled alligators with his good ride. Louisiana mud.